Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Innate Strength Podcast. I'm your host, Justin. This episode is a question I get asked a lot. I'm super excited to answer it for you. We're going to talk about milk. Dairy, but we're going to spend more time on milk today. Now, my goal is not to talk to you and try and convince you that you need to drink dairy, that you shouldn't drink dairy, that dairy is evil, that it's not evil. I'm not going to get into any of that. Instead, I want to address simple scientific things we can think about and also the history of where milk is today. The question usually I get asked is, should I consume dairy? And my answer is, well, that depends. And if you listened to my last episode on nutrition and health, you know that it is dependent on whether or not you do well with certain things more than someone else. Some people will do great with avocados. Some people won't. That doesn't mean that therefore avocados are good because it works with somebody or that they're therefore bad because it doesn't work with somebody else. It's about balance and understanding that those things play a role. Secondly, I need to understand what am I using it for? I think there are great things in dairy. There's protein, there's good fats, and if your body does digest it, well, I think there are benefits to having dairy in your diet. That doesn't mean you should go and replace everything in your diet with dairy. I think there's a downside to too much dairy, just like there's a downside to too much bananas, too much avocado, too much carbs, too much water. There's a balance. There may be some things you can have in greater capacity than others, but at the end of the day, you drink enough water and in too short of a time period, you will kill yourself. So water is bad for you if we use that as our lens. Do you see what I'm saying? We can't use that kind of lens when it comes to nutrition and when we're talking about food. Instead, we need to take it back to what makes sense and the basic ideas behind it. So first things first. Well, people shouldn't have dairy because no other animal in existence drinks dairy from other animals after their infancy, which I understand the idea behind that argument. We're, we're also the only species really that harvests anything from anybody else. Right? There are some animals that might steal eggs from other animals to eat those. They might pick fruit and those sorts of things. But, I mean, you give a cat milk, it'll drink it. If you give a dog milk, it'll drink it. Not every dog, right? Not every cat, right? Again, this isn't a, a blanket statement saying that all animals will drink milk if it's given to them. But the reality is, if animals were hungry enough and they are looking for food enough and they understood how to extract milk from the teat of a cow or a goat or whatever, I think it's safe to say that they would probably do it because they want to not die. So to use the argument that humans shouldn't drink dairy because we're the only species that does do it, I don't think is a fair answer to the question. If you have a problem with that because you just don't like the idea of it, that's totally fine. I don't think you need dairy to live. You need nutrition to live, but it doesn't have to be dairy. So let's throw that out of the way first. Now, let me ask a better question, and that is, why do we have dairy set up the way we do? And what I mean is, we pasteurize it. Do you know why we pasteurize dairy? Think about it. Like, why do do we pasteurize it? What is it in your head right now? Well, because it's not safe for us to drink if it's not pasteurized okay well then why have we been drinking milk for thousands of years and only been pasteurizing since really the turn of the 19th century right 1870s to like 1906 is kind of the time frame where we figured that out were people just dying in massive quantities by drinking raw milk if that was the case we would have stopped drinking it is it only because that the animal that it comes from is supposed to go to that animal so cows are supposed to have cow's milk uh pigs pig's milk goats goat milk human human milk well, if that was the case again, we wouldn't be able to drink it. So it can't be that. 
So why do we pasteurize dairy? Now, I've already given you a hint as to the time frame when we start pasteurizing things. So I'm going to present to you a little story of history. I'm going to do my best to be as accurate to information as possible. I'm going to be vague in some areas because I'm not a historian, especially when it comes to the turn of the century and the Industrial Revolution. But in terms of understanding the nutrition and the health of my body, I have a pretty good understanding of where dairies came from and why we do the things we do today. And again, I'm not going to try and convince you that you should drink pasteurized milk. I'm not going to try and convince you that you should drink unpasteurized milk. Instead, I'm going to present to you information, and you can come to your own conclusion from there. If you want to ask more questions about it, as always, this podcast for me is always about answering questions that people ask me. So go to my website, innatestrengthtraining.com, and send me a message. Go onto my Instagram, at innate.strength, and send me a question there. I don't know how to answer questions if you don't ask them. This particular question is something I hear from a lot of people, so I'm answering it. I'm going to do a question soon on metabolism because I have people asking me about that too. So feel free to ask a question if I don't answer something the way you want me to or you're curious about more information. So let's start with the Industrial Revolution here in America. Now, it was a time when we were increasing in jobs. We were increasing in this manufacturing. There's a lot of good things, I think, that came from the Industrial Revolution. But I also would argue that there are many things that came from it that aren't good. I think the current way we run our school system, we would try to run it like a factory to produce the same result all the time. And humans, from a nutritional standpoint and physical standpoint, don't operate in the same way. So I can't assume that they're going to learn in the same way. And that's where I think there's a lot of downsides to that. We can go into a whole different discussion on pros and cons of the Industrial Revolution. I'm not going to do that today. We're just going to start with we were increasing people living in cities. This is when we started having people not living on a homestead or living near a homestead where they could get their food from someone in the nearby area to the point where people could even live in apartments. They didn't have a fridge yet. They didn't have the ability to just go and get you know, ramen from the grocery store or from the gas station. That wasn't a thing yet. Not that you should be doing that anyway. So instead, we had to be more functional about our factorization of everything to allow people to live in this environment this way. What that meant is finding a way to produce one of the biggest commodities, which was milk. Milk and alcohol are two very big liquids during this time period. Because alcohol, because people, and dairy, because it was an easy source of something to drink and people liked drinking it. You used it for baking, you could drink it as it is, milkshakes, all those sorts of things. And they found, or at least tried to find, a way to make something efficient as possible. Since they use this barley malt in a distillery, and when they're done, they have all this leftover grain that's been soaking and cooked and whatnot. Well, instead of throwing it away, what if we fed it to the cows? So they did. We fed leftover grains, and in some cases, just anything we could afford to feed them. And the cows would be weak. They would get sick. I mean, think about it. They're not eating well. And they would still produce milk because that's what we're trying to make them to do. And if they had their baby calves, that's what they'd be trying to feed. But if you don't have a good nutritional source, you can't produce good nutritional milk. So if you look up a term called swill milk, that's S-W-I-L-L. Sometimes it's called blue milk as well. And this is not blue milk in reference to Star Wars stuff. But swill milk had a blue tint to it. And it did not taste like milk. Did not look like milk. Did not act like milk. It was milk from a cow that was too weak to stand up on its own. But we were pumping the milk out of it anyway. So there's a problem there. You start to get people getting sick from the milk. 
and on top of that, an increase in tuberculosis. Now, there's a bacterial thing that can happen that is Mycobacterium bovis, which I believe is the right terminology. I may be a little bit off on that, but I'm pretty sure that's what it's called. And this is the basically the bacterial starting point for tuberculosis, which can then transmit, transmit to humans through the milk. So this is the risk of drinking raw milk, at least when the animals are sick. And so we have this problem that people are getting tuberculosis, they're getting sick. And in the 1870s, especially in New York, there's an increase in infant mortality as people were feeding their babies milk that the baby shouldn't be drinking. Now, to fix this milk, originally what they would do is they would add some molasses to it to sweeten it. They would add some starch and some eggs to thicken it because it was very thin and watery. Think like skim milk, but not in a good way. I mean, I don't think skim milk could either way, but that's a side tangent. And they'd add like the molasses and things to sweeten it and make it taste a little better. And then in some cases, even adding something to whiten it so it looked more like milk, but it didn't taste like regular milk. So you're feeding this to your baby and your baby gets sick and it dies. And I think the infant mortality rate in New York City alone in the 1870s increased by 20% because of this. That was what later was pointed to, that, hey, there's an issue with milk, and we need to find some way to regulate how we make our milk. So naturally, it starts to make sense that as pasteurization was coming around, that maybe we need to be more sanitary with the way we treat our milk. And so we have these two diverging thoughts on how to then make milk safe to drink. The first one would have been to ensure that people who are working with cows, their hands are clean, the teat of the animal is cleaned before and after, the vessels for the milk is sanitized, and then the animals are ensured to be healthy and that the milk can be shown to be there's nothing wrong with it. The second was to pasteurize the milk. Now, there's a difference between these two options, and I want to kind of be specific on how these both work and what really went ended up going down. So on the one hand, you have the option to, well, the cows can't eat crap. They're getting sick. And then we need to make sure that when we're working with these animals that everything is clean. Because before that, the guy could have been scratching his butt and then going to milk the teat of the cow or standing in the cow's feces. I mean, we don't have visualization of this because it was a long enough time period ago, but we have enough records to show that it was definitely not sanitary by any means. So let's make it more sanitary. Clean the vessels, clean the places, clean the person, clean the animal. And then also ensure that the animal eats good food for the animal so the animal is healthy. And then produce that milk. The other option was take the dirty milk and just pasteurize it, cook it. Because then if we cook it, all the bad bacteria dies. All the good bacteria dies too, but at least all the bad bacteria is gone and now the milk is safe for consumption. Now I'm not... Well, I guess I could say I'm a smart man. I don't think I'm an intelligent man in the sense that I have a giant IQ, but I think it makes sense that if you look at this from a very simple perspective, one of those sounds better than the other. I'd rather have the first option, more sanitary space, more healthy animal. Not the option of, hey, this milk is dirty. Let's just make it look not dirty. In fact, people during that time period felt the same way. No one wanted cooked cow's milk because... They didn't want it. We understood that there's a benefit to having the milk the way it was already done. We've been doing that for thousands of years. I mean, seriously, it wasn't like that was the option. People thought, hey, this will work. So there was campaigning against, then, the way we made our milk to fight for the easier option, the lazier option, which is to just pasteurize the milk. 
And this is where we start getting those Got Milk brandings. I think the first time we see that is with uh, the great Bambino, the baseball player, drinking a glass of milk at a milk cart before a big game. Right? We see these athletes drinking milk and, oh, milk is good for you. It's good for your bones. Not technically true. Not technically wrong either. But we made a campaign for milk. And just the milk that was most easily available would have been the pasteurized milk. So this is a very small history of what we see happening in the milk industry. And I'm not trying to make some giant conspiracy theory that people are out to get you and make things whatever. It comes down to the same thing that happens in every business. What's the cheapest? What fixes the problem the fastest? And how can we market it to people so that they don't care? I mean, that, that's really like what most businesses who are out to make money are going to do. And since milk was such a high commodity at the turn of the century, they had to find a way to make it work. And so they lobbied to make it more expensive to do things the other way. And granted, it would have probably been more expensive either way. You need to feed the cow real food that the cow can eat. You need to make sure the cow is healthy and monitor the cow. And you need to clean more things. So you need to have the equipment to clean. Versus just getting a giant pasteurization machine, who cares what happened beforehand, as long as you pasteurize it before you put it in the bottles and bring it to people, it's good to go. So why do we pasteurize milk? That's why. We pasteurize the milk because it is a cheaper option to allow us to do whatever we need to do with the animal to produce a milk thing that people will drink that they're not going to get sick from drinking. So we pasteurize it. So what can you do about this then? Or then let's let's put it this way. So what about raw milk? Is raw milk dangerous to drink? And again, I'm not a doctor. I'm not going to go out there and tell you that, yes, you should be drinking raw milk. I think there's enough science that you can make your own conclusion on that. But if the cow is eating what a cow is supposed to eat, the cow is healthy, and the cow is not being a work a workhorse to produce milk and is being done in a cycle that is healthy for the animal, then the milk has no problems. And pasteurizing it at that point is only beneficial if you plan to ship it across the country, which is the second problem of why we pasteurize milk. If you pasteurize it, it has a longer shelf life. So now you can buy your milk at the grocery store in Florida from a cow that was in Iowa. Why? Why not just get milk at the grocery store from a cow that came from Florida? Or if you're in Iowa, from Iowa. Why is it we need to have these giant monoculture factory farms to produce our dairy? Because one company can be over that entire thing. And the industrialization is cheaper and produces more money for the companies. But in terms of it being the healthier and safer option, yeah. If your cows are eating crappy food, standing in their own manure, of course I wouldn't drink their milk until you pasteurized it. I don't know why I would. I don't know why anyone would. But if a cow is living the way a cow lives best and they're healthy, there's nothing wrong with the milk. And if there's something wrong with the milk, it gets tested beforehand so that the milk is then not produced or sold in stores. We're such higher in our technology now that we know when something is wrong with the milk because it can go through a test. But this is why we pasteurize the milk. At least this is why we started doing it. And I think at the time period, it wasn't a terrible option. I don't think it was the best option, but it made sense 
during that time period why pasteurization of milk happened. It was to stop an epidemic from occurring. But now I would argue that it stopped the epidemic, right? We have everything is more sanitary for people in general. I mean, I think you can argue that a lot of our testament to our health is because we have better sewage, sewage systems. We have better cleaning practices. Most people shower every day. I mean, people weren't doing that before. We have the ability to clean our house and sanitize so many different things. Yeah, it kind of makes sense that we're not getting as sick or that we're not getting as bad of things anymore because we can clean things better. So back to the original question, should you consume dairy? For me, it comes down to, well, one, how do you do with dairy? If your body doesn't digest it well and it has problems, well, then no, of course not. Don't drink dairy. Is it inherently bad because of that reason? No. I think people should consume dairy if they can because I think it's a good source of protein. It does a lot of good things in your body. It just depends on is it a pasteurized crappy source, a pasteurized less crappy source, or a raw, local, and healthy source. So I always tell people to try both. And I get I might get some flack for that. I'm not telling you to go out and find some random cow in the middle of a field and try drinking its milk that way. Go to a place that has high-quality raw milk, try it, and see how you do with it. If you have no problems with that, but you have problems with pasteurized milk, then it is probably the pasteurization of the milk that is making it hard for you to digest it. Anytime you cook something, it takes more effort to digest it. When you eat an apple raw, it has enzymes that will help you break it down. When you cook an apple, the enzymes are gone. So now you have to digest the whole thing all on your own. This is true with anything. If it is raw, it is easier to for you to digest. Your body can assimilate a raw egg, I think, in less than 15 minutes. Now, again, not telling people to go and start downing raw eggs. I do like raw eggs. I think there's nothing wrong with them as long, again, they come from a good source. Why are raw eggs so dangerous? Well, because of salmonella. Well, where does salmonella come from? It doesn't come from the chicken. It develops in feces. And more often than not, it can develop like E. coli, can develop in cow feces. So if you go and get your chicken eggs from a giant chicken factory, I'm going to say factory because that's what they would be, where the chicken's standing in their own manure in a giant machine space where they never get to walk and roam and eat the food that chickens are supposed to eat, or they're next to a slaughterhouse, <clears throat> excuse me, a slaughterhouse where cows are staying in their own feces, and that runoff from the slaughterhouse comes towards the chicken fields or chicken farm, whatever you want to call it, factory. That's the word I was using. And then number two, if there is salmonella present on the egg, it is on the shell of the egg. It's not on the inside. And the only way to not get the salmonella from that is to either completely nuke the egg, overcook it to the point where no one would want to eat it, or hard boil it. So it's not the rawness of the egg that's the problem in this context. Now, could there be other things that could be wrong with the egg? Absolutely. So again, healthy chicken doing what chickens are supposed to do and the eggs coming from a local source where you're getting eggs that were laid probably less than two days ago. Yeah, I don't think there's a problem with consuming them raw. I've been doing that for almost eight, nine years now and I've never had a problem. That doesn't mean I'm never going to have a problem. But I understand the risk and I'm okay with that. I've never had a problem. Anyway, Side tangent is over. Let's go back to dairy. So try raw dairy. That would be my recommendation. Try it. A good source. And in a lot of states, you can find it. There are some states that it is illegal. And I think that's interesting. When you make a food illegal in a certain form, why is it illegal? Well, because it's dangerous. Well, why is it dangerous? Well, because people got sick from it in the past. Right. Why were they getting sick from it? 
well, because we were feeding the animals crap and they got sick. So now we pasteurize the milk to make sure you can drink it, no matter what we do to the animal. That's the thing about pasteurizing milk that bothers me is it allows us to be lazy with human practices, to be inhumane to the animals, and to then try and benefit and market off of it as much as possible for my benefit if I was running the company. Now, I think there's still benefits to, let's say you're having a cow that lives on a pastured field. It's a bit better circumstances. They still pasteurize the milk because it's just an easier process for them. That's still better milk. It's still better. Maybe in some cases it's less bad is a better way to look at it. But it's still better to get milk that comes from a cow that's healthy. But if you're going to the store and getting a dollar gallon of milk, like that's that's not milk. I have no idea what they've probably done to that to make it look like milk and act like milk, but it's not milk. Milk is good all on its own. And really, if you want a good quality source of milk, it seems like goat milk is a better source for humans anyway. In terms of the nutritional content in goat milk, it's the closest in relation to human milk. And it makes sense. If you think about it, the milk is supposed to help the animal build up into the animal it's going to be. How much movement does a cow do? Have you watched cows? I mean, they don't do nothing for days on end. Obviously, I'm exaggerating here, but cows don't do a whole lot of movement. So you're drinking milk from an animal that's trying to build that kind of animal. And yet, what do goats do? I mean, they headbutt each other. They jump around. They get on top of roofs. They climb. I mean, they climb everywhere. So, I mean, from an exterior perspective, doesn't it seem like it would make more sense to be drinking a milk that has the nutritional content to build that kind of body? Just maybe. This is not a scientific opinion. This is just my opinion of observation. So it's an observational opinion. I want to be clear on that. I'm not saying that goat milk is better because science says so. I think there's evidence of that too. But in terms of the animals themselves, what are they producing? I don't want to be a stagnant cow. I want to be a jumping, ant, uh, agile goat. If we're looking at it from that perspective of the milk we're going to consume. But same thing, good quality sources. It matters about the quality of the milk. If the quality is good and you're able to get raw milk and you do good with it, then I don't see a problem. I drink raw milk. I've been doing that for probably over a decade. Never had a problem with it because I know where the milk comes from. It's usually in, it's not usually, it's always in my same state. And right now I get milk from a farm that's like 20 minutes away from where I live. And the cows live the way cows are supposed to live. And they have goats and the goats live the way goats are supposed to live. And they monitor their animals when they're sick. They don't milk them and sell the milk. Go figure. What a novel concept. Not giving people sick things. But see, during this time period, going back to the Industrial Revolution, people were getting to a place where now they didn't know their farmer. They didn't know where the milk came from. They didn't know how it was produced. They just know that it was in the store and they could buy it. And we have this disconnect today with all of our food. I mean, you can go to Trader Joe's, Sprouts, Henry's, depending on where you live, all these different stores, Albertsons, and get food that's been grown in Mexico, the other side of the country, the other side of the world. You've never seen the farm. You've never met the people who grow the food. You've never seen them even pick the food or, or plant the seeds. So I think there is some value to say that having local sources of food is a good thing because you, one, get to know your farmer, so you're supporting someone locally who's doing the work. Two, it's a fresher version of the food because when they picked it, if it's a farmer's market, it wasn't picked months ago. It was picked maybe at most days ago. 
So the nutritional content in the food will be higher. In most cases, the food is also nutritionally more dense because they have a better growing practice. They're usually not growing just corn. They're growing an ecosystem of food with their animals and producing lots of things. And I believe Michael Poland talks about this, and so does, um, spacing on the name, but the owner of the Polyface Farms. If I remember, I'll mention it. But if you look at Polyface Farms, same idea. It's not this idea that we need to have a farmer who is a cow farmer. A farmer is someone who produces food for other people. And it should be in a variety because the most healthy space we see in the world is an ecosystem where it's not just a giant cornfield, but a corn having corn and having carrots and having onions and having potatoes and having cows and chickens and pigs and goats and maintaining this ecosystem so that you make the best food possible. The best food possible is going to be the best for you possible. And we have this disconnect. And I think we're getting better at it. I see more farmers markets in more places all the time. But we need to be more involved in that process of where does our food come from? And do I approve of how it came to me? That doesn't mean you can't get food from across the world. I think there's still some cool features of getting food that you don't get here, like getting cheese from in Europe. I think that's okay because if the cheese is aged, it's got to get aged in the process anyway. It's going to have to be shipped when it's aged. It's different. But I'm not going to want to get a raw apple from somewhere in Australia and have it here where I live in the United States because it's not going to get here in a day. It's not going to get here in two days. That process doesn't work. And to make it seem like it works, it's picked when it's not ripe. It can be colored to make it look more ripe. And they're picking food most of the time that looks the prettiest. Not because it's healthier, but because they know people will buy the rightest, shiniest, roundest apple. So the one that's got a little weird bump on it, well, we'll get rid of that apple, even though it's virtually fine. Nothing wrong with it. And they don't sell it. That's just backwards, so backwards. There's nothing wrong with eating a carrot that sprouted two points. It's still a carrot. It's not going to give you cancer. It's not going to do anything crazy. It's just nature is that way. People are all different. You imagine if we all looked exactly the same, how boring everything would be. If we all thought exactly the same, how boring everything would be. Variety is the spice of life, and that's true with our food. It should just be something that is closer to where you live. If you eat meat, you should be able to find a source of meat that comes from a local place that you can then consume and have, from an animal that is fed in a way that is healthy for the animal. right? If you want to have a grain-fed cow because you like how the fat marbles better in the meat, I don't think there's a problem with that as long as the cow is healthy through the entire process. That's the big difference. As long as the animal is being treated well and it is in a healthy environment, and the animal was healthy when it was butchered, then you know, do what you're going to do. So the question kind of started with, should I consume dairy? And this obviously went way farther into just regular nutrition. I mean, this is really just nutrition, our nutrition podcast part two. I think we could probably do multiple parts on nutrition because there's so many things that we can talk about. But again, dairy comes down to, do you feel good off of it? And I would say you need to try dairy in its best forms and I think that is healthy local raw and then best source you can find in a store that isn't you know McDonald's quality pasteurized milk try them and see if those make a difference if they don't make a difference then don't worry about it okay dairy doesn't work for you that's okay there's so many other foods out in the world for you to eat I think you'll be okay but then if you try a different source of dairy and you find that you do better with it then it's okay to like it consume it 
right? If you have an issue of like, I don't want to consume things from animals because that's a thing that you're you're with and whatever, I get that. I have some arguments against that from a nutritional standpoint, but that's the way you want to go. We're in a culture in a world today where we're advanced enough that you can make things work by substituting with other things. Um, I don't think almond milk is milk. I don't think oat milk is milk. It is a seed water. We call it milk so you feel better about it. People who want to drink milk feel like they're drinking still quote-unquote milk, but it's not milk. You're soaking a seed, you're blending it, and then straining out all the pulp. And then we still probably color it and add some things to it to make it more palatable. Nothing wrong with drinking them, inherently speaking, but in terms of nutritional content and quality, it is way less than milk because it's not the same thing. They're not the same thing. It's almond water. That's what it is. Calling it milk is clever advertising to make people think they're getting the same benefit they would from drinking raw cow milk. That's the difference. And then number two, there are other ways to consume the dairy as well. You can ferment it. Uh, You can't do that as easily with regular milk, but you can do that really easily with raw milk and make yogurt. You can make sour cream, clotted cream. You can get the cream out and make butter. You can then, I mean... You can use the lactose to make lacto-fermented vegetables. There's so many things you can do with that from that point. And then fermented foods are a whole different bubble. Some people, if they have fermented real yogurt, and again, how do we know if it's real fermented yogurt that has good probiotics? Well, it hasn't been pasteurized. Because once you pasteurize the the, the, uh, yogurt, you've killed the enzymes, you've killed the probiotics. So beneficial yogurt is going to be yogurt that has not been tampered with. Again, you go to some place like Costco, Trader Joe's, most of what they're going to sell there is pasteurized because it's too big of a conglomeration. It's too big of an industrial factory to produce consistent results for people. And that's the other reason why I think we're still in this industrial mindset when we think about our food and production. I can go to Trader Joe's in any state that has it and get the same kind of food with the same quote-unquote quality because they want it to be that way. I would love to be able to go to a store in a different state and see things that I can't see in the state that I live in because they don't grow there. You know, if there's a state that does really good at something and growing something, that should be more common for you to find in those stores. I mean, in California, you can buy dandelion greens and it's ridiculously expensive. When I was a kid and grew up in Minnesota, like dandelion greens, like you mean the plant that we picked out of our of our grass because we considered it a weed? The, that dandelion green? I mean, Minnesota, you shouldn't have to buy it at all. Just don't spray and fertilize your grass. You can eat it right there. Like, we've forgotten what is edible and what isn't edible. Like, there's so many foods you can eat that aren't in your grocery store. And there's spreading from the dairy thing. There's food like kale, broccoli, Brussels Brussels sprouts, cauliflower. They're all kind of the same plant. Technically speaking, they're just hybridizations from the same plant of selective breeding to create these different plants. But if you look at them from a nutritional standpoint, they have very similar nutritional things in them. I think cabbage is in there as well. That was the one I was forgetting. But that means that really from a a makeup standpoint, we're eating food that really is kind of all just the same. Like you're eating six foods every day. No, slight variations and differences in those foods, but like we're not eating a huge variety of things anymore. I mean, lettuce wasn't edible. We had to selectively breed it until the waxiness of the lettuce was thin enough that we could actually eat it and digest it. That doesn't mean it's bad to eat lettuce, but just understand that there was a time when we didn't eat it because it wasn't really an edible food source for us. We made it so. There's lots of things like that. I mean, corn has been so hybridized. It used to grow very thin and very small, and they weren't big kernels. 
hybridized it with grass and now it grows bigger and better and all these different things and of course it creates its own host of problems to have the corn we have today wheat is in the same category most people don't know what einkorn wheat is and it is a form of wheat that as far as we have it has not been tampered with it's the original form the staff of wheat grows with much less berries on it they are higher in protein lower in gluten so they don't act as nicely if you're doing fancy patisserie or anything like that but if you use it like regular wheat it works just as well but a lot of people have better things with it and people who have de- uh, gluten intolerances sometimes have no problems with einkorn wheat there's just these interesting things we have to understand that just because you can't handle food doesn't mean that the you can't handle the food it may just be that you can't handle that version of the food and to explore different things I mean, the reason why people don't eat gluten now is because there's so many books out there that showed how bad gluten is for you based off of the American diet, which is mostly gluten-based foods. You wake up and you have an English muffin. Then you have a sandwich for lunch and then you have pasta for dinner. Okay, you just basically ate wheat for three meals for the whole day. Yeah, of course you're going to develop diabetes. Of course you're going to be unhealthy. You're eating the same thing all day. You shouldn't do that with anything. If you ate 14 apples a day and nothing else, you'd eventually feel gross too. We're meant to eat variety. We're meant to be omnivores. We're meant to go through different things in different phases. And I guess this last part we can talk about is this idea to eat seasonally. And there is a time to get raw milk and there's a time when you don't because the animals have not had babies and it is now time for them not. So technically, the winter months are probably the time you're not going to have your raw milk. You're going to start having more things like fermented things, yogurt, cheese, if you're going to consume dairy. And that's healthier for the animal. Now, there are some places that will still produce raw milk year-round, and you can do that too. But if you start going with this idea that, well, I can't have this food all the time. I can only have it when it's supposed to be, quote-unquote, in season. It'll be way easier to know that if you eat foods from where you live. Because if it's not in season, you won't see it on the shelves. You won't see it in the farmer's market. But if you eat seasonally, then your body has time to eat certain foods And then those cravings will start to shift towards those seasons. I mean, I love apples, but really speaking, if you're in North America, like you really shouldn't be eating an apple other than from like August to November, depending. And then, of course, you could ferment them, ferment them, dry them, do pickling, whatever you want to do with them to store them to have them later. But now we can get fresh apples year round because we can grow them in so many different places. And of course, there are other things to consider, like the greenhouse. You can now grow things in a greenhouse in the coldest places. I think uh, Iceland for a while, maybe it still is, was a large producer of bananas. That's crazy, right? Iceland was a large producer and exporter of bananas. Why? Well, they made greenhouses and used the geothermal energy of Iceland to heat the space. The volcanic soil there, though, is really great for bananas. So they created an environment that was healthy for them to grow. The soil was already good for it. They just need to make sure they stayed warm in an environment that isn't typically that warm. So there's nothing wrong with buying food that came from somewhere else. Just as much as there's nothing wrong with buying food that came from someone next door. And I think we need to be more okay with that and understand that that gives a lot of freedom for what you do then. And the ability to store your food, the ability to make your own food, and have a larger appreciation for what you have when you have it. Okay. Let's get back to dairy because I seem to keep tangenting back off to other things. Uh, We'll talk a little bit here at the end about whey protein because I think that's another thing people often ask about is should I consume dairy? Usually they technically mean like what about like whey protein concentrate versus isolate. Um, There's a difference between the concentrate and the isolate. 
The isolate is isolating the protein from the whey, whereas the concentrate is concentrating the whey protein itself. Pros and cons to both. I'm not going to get into all that. End of the day, I would say try them both out. See which one feels better for you. Make sure it comes from a good source, not a crappy source. And I'll be honest that if it is coming from someone on Instagram who is an ambassador for a nutritional brand, it's probably a crappy source. I don't mean to blanket them all underneath this branding, but most of the time, those are companies that are producing a factory product. And when I say factory product, I mean that they are cutting corners to sell a cheaper product to make a higher profit. Not a good source for your nutritional needs. There are plenty of brands out there that do better. There's some out there that are less bad and some that are way better. Find a good source of whey protein and then use that and see how you feel. If you don't feel good from it, if you get bloated, if whatever happens, happens, then don't use it. Or if you're like, hey, that was whey protein, isolate. Let me try whey protein, concentrate. And then, of course, the other thing, too, is like you don't need it every single day. If you're looking for protein, get it from real food first. Every so often, whey protein, concentrate, or isolate. You can do the veggie proteins as well. I would still argue that there is some science there that seems to show that you are less efficient at building muscle mass with ulterior sources. I think there's some peanut protein now and some pea protein that seems to be producing better results. Um, I would tell everyone to avoid soy for any reason just because of the high amounts of xenoestrogens. It produces more problems than it creates uh, benefits. And there are so many other protein sources out there for you to get. Nut-based proteins are a great place to go. Meat, dairy. Again, pick what you feel good with, what makes you feel good, and gives you the energy you need to do the things you need to do. And that's always the caveat here. If you consume whey protein, you don't feel bad. That doesn't necessarily mean that's good for you. Like if you consume a shake with whey protein in it and afterwards you feel good and you feel energized, that's usually a good sign that, hey, my body knows what to do with this stuff. If you consume it and you feel like you want to take a nap, you feel sluggish, you feel bloated, gassy, whatever, and maybe that happens after a couple of uses, then you know that maybe this isn't working out for me. Collagen peptides are another great source of protein. I know there's like the bone broth protein powders they make now too. There's, there's lots of options out there. So don't feel like if you can't consume whey or you don't want to consume whey, that that means there's no options for you. There are plenty of options out there. I think dairy has its benefits and its drawbacks, and I don't have a problem with people consuming one or the other. I just want you to be informed about what it is you're consuming and why you're consuming it. Instead of reading some article by some person who thinks they're in, who thinks they're a fitness expert because they lost weight doing some random exercise routine and they can post pretty pictures online or on Instagram. Most of the time, that person doesn't know anything. I don't mean that in an insulting way. I think there are people who can be attractive and also be well-educated. But most of the time, if they're selling a fitness program, they're selling it because they're going to sell you stock A workout or stock B workout, which means there's no personality in the workout I can write you a workout in five minutes. It's not hard for someone who understands programming to write a workout, just like it's not hard for a chef to see ingredients on the table and decide what to do with them. The execution and ability to use them well is the teaching and the learning experience that a person has. But if you're spending lots of money on an online workout program and it feels generic, it's because it is generic, because they don't know what they're doing. They just did a workout program that gave them a result, and you think because they got the result that if you do what they did, you'll get exactly what they got. And that assumes that you are the exact same person with the exact same genetic makeup, the exact same nutritional needs, and everything else under the sun that falls underneath that. That is not true. That is not how life works. You are different. You need to see what works for you. 
Don't listen to those people who have fancy photos on Instagram because they most likely don't know what they're talking about. Use your brain. Do they seem educated? Are they selling a product that they directly benefit from? Because to me, that's factory production. There's nothing wrong with endorsing a product and getting compensated for it. I think that's, that's fine. But a lot of these MLMs, a lot of these fitness brands out there that exist now, they sell a product and they put people underneath them as ambassadors who are Instagram famous or well-known because if the famous person does it, the people will do it. And how do I know that that's the case? Because that's what they did with milk back when people weren't consuming pasteurized cooked milk because no one wanted it. So they made baseball players and other famous celebrities start drinking it. Well, if they drink it, then it must be good because at some times we're people, we're pretty easy to subdue and push in a certain direction. That's the thing about marketing is marketing doesn't have to be be done in a way that it is, let me rephrase that. Marketing doesn't have to be because the product is good. People can sell you crap, but they sell you on it. Don't be sold on something just because it sounds good. Make them back it up and show you why it is good. If someone can do that, you are in a better position. And then on top of that, consume and decide, does it work for me? If it doesn't, throw it away, check it off the list, and continue forward. Anyway, I hope this has been a useful podcast for you, as always. If you have any questions, if I brought up something on dairy, or I did talk about a few other things today that you have questions on, feel free to send me a message. Again, you can do that through my website, innatestrengthtraining.com. You can send a message to the Contact Us page there. Just submit that you're uh, looking for a podcast question. You can do that through Instagram. Innate.strength is my Instagram handle. While I'm still on there, we'll see how long that lasts. Uh, you can also go to my Patreon page, patreon.com slash innatestrength, and you can guarantee a question being asked on the show through the different ways you can donate to the podcast. Again, don't want to do this podcast where I have to leave advertisements in it. Notice when I was talking about consuming good products, I didn't really tell you any product in any specificity. That's because I don't want to feel like you have to listen to what I say because I'm a guy who has a microphone and a camera. I want you to pick a product that works for you and is good for you and is a good quality product. And if you want my specific recommendation, yeah, I have those. But I don't need to make money off of those to make my podcast work. I'd rather have you, the listener, if you feel like this is useful for you, then you can donate to the podcast. And then I'll have to have some company pay me to put a 30-second ad in here about their product and why it's good and why you should have it. I'm just not into doing that. I think we get advertised to enough, and enough is enough. And again, if you want to watch the video, or if you are on YouTube, you can watch the video at my Nate Strength Training channel. There's always a video of these up, and you can watch it that way. It's mostly just me talking into a camera, so it depends on what you find fascinating, if you like listening or watching someone talk. All right, everybody, tune in next week. Make sure you listen to the previous podcast episodes, especially for the interview with David Weck. I think that one's really exciting and fun to listen to. Until next week, have a great day.